Hey, everybody, this is Damon Johnson from Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. You were listening to my boys on Thunder Underground. Come on. Welcome to episode 295 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. And for the first time in a while, we've got a second one in a week. Two this week. Earlier this week, we had Blake, the vocalist from Saul. And right now, we've got the return of Damon Johnson. Hell yeah. Can you believe that? For the fourth time. You can say that. Fourth time. Because he was recently on the Van Halen episode. Exactly. Uh, This is technically a third full-length interview we've done, but, I mean, hell, his Eddie Van Halen interview was like 20 minutes. Yeah, four appearances. Yeah. So we'll get into all that. You know, even saying that, I think I mentioned this a while back after we recorded it, but I think Damon Johnson's now the first like single artist that, you know, is a national musician that we kind of grew up on that we've had on here three or more times. Yeah. You know, because we've had on, you know, other guys more than that, but they're like newer artists or that kind of thing. So sounds about right to be able to have someone that we've loved for nearly 30 years on here for a fourth time is pretty badass to me. We'll talk more about Damon here in a minute and we're going to play you some music as well. But first we got to let you know, as always, we're sponsored by Hella Hot Hot Sauce. It's a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area that makes small batch artisan hot sauces. You can find all their hot sauces on their website at hellahothotsauce.com. They do a lot of collaborations with some metal artists like Ghoul. They have one called Brain Jerk. Florida Frank from Hatebreed has one called Florida Frank's Florida Heat. They were kind enough to send us a gallon of this stuff, and we've devoured some of it, but our fragile stomachs cannot handle too much at a time because it is some hot-ass stuff. But So you haven't gone through all of it? No. I know I gave you some, but you, you're you not as in love with the, the very hot stuff as I am, but I, I still can't handle it. <laughs> you I know, had, at least in mass amounts. I can handle a little bit here and there. But. I, I had to give it to my brothers, and yeah. you know, their, their dad's from Texas. They have that Texas in them. They can handle <laughs> that shit. I, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm a lightweight when it comes to that stuff. It's yeah. the right when you taste it, it's really good. And then, holy fuck, I want to die. <laughs> well, those are the kind of heats that I appreciate because, like you said, it's good. It's got good flavor, but it's hot as fuck. Yeah, it is. <laughs> when it's just hot to be hot, that's when I'm like, no, nah, this is stupid. But, <laughs> but Hella Hot Hot Sauce brings the flavor along with the massive heat. So check them out. Tell them we sent you. Get on their website. Buy you some hot sauce. If you're on the West Coast, you can find them in stores out there as well. Also, follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. MedFarm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, at 24683 East Highway 51. Right off the highway, you can't miss them. They've got a drive through which a lot of dispensaries don't offer. You can call ahead, text ahead, message ahead, place your order, and zip right through there and pick it up. You can also see their entire large selection at leafly.com. You can follow them on Facebook or Instagram at MedFarmOK. That's P-H-A-R-M. They're always running specials on their social media, so check those out. And one of their ongoing specials is if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. And most importantly, they're cannabis with a cause because 30% of their proceeds are going to build no-kill animal shelters. Which is something this world needs more of, so huge props to MedFarm for that. Sunset Tattoo, a tattoo shop right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, based in Midtown. 
get over there, check them out, call ahead, message ahead, set up a time so you can sit down with Jake or one of his crew members there to talk about the work you need to have done. They've got tons of pictures that you can check out on their Facebook, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. The Instagram is also at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed, and above all else, they're mother approved. They've got over 25 years of experience, so you're going to get great work done for these guys. So get over there and tell them, done underground sent you. And finally, last but not least, DEB Concerts. Promoter based right here in Tulsa that's brought a plethora of amazing acts to the Ideal Ballroom in downtown Tulsa, to the BOK Center in downtown Tulsa, and they book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. Coming up, December 12th, Lita Ford will be returning, but this time she will be acoustic. She'll have Patrick Kennison in tow with her. They'll be putting on an acoustic set, so something different there for y'all. That show will be opened by Palandria, who is also fully acoustic for that show. It will be hosted by the one and only Eddie Trunk. So you can get out there, meet Eddie Trunk, see Lita Ford do a socially distanced acoustic show at the Ideal Barroom. DBconcerts.com for ticket info and to be kept up to date on any future announcements. And of course, we'll let you know here as well. You ready to play some music? Let's play a track by Top Dead Center. This is a band that we have played on this podcast before, and we're going to play them again. Based out of North Carolina, this song is called La Dee Da.
La-dee-da from Top Dead Center. They just dropped a brand new video for that this past week. You can see it on their Facebook page. It's TDC on Facebook. Top Dead Center. That video is also on YouTube. A great video showing some, some live work from these guys. Top Dead Center is based out of North Carolina. I know you've known one of the members for quite a while. Old buddy from school, Judah, always keeps in touch. And, uh, you know, whenever he's got a new project or his project has new songs, we definitely play it. Yeah. Some groovy stuff that gets stuck in your head. Kind of stuff right. we love here. Yeah, I mean, you're you're singing that all day now. Yeah. Well, we listened to it a bit before we started this recording, and you were whistling uh, it right before we started. Whistling, yeah. <laughs> So there you go. Mission accomplished. Exactly. So follow TDC on Facebook and tell them we sent you. All right. I guess let's just jump into some Damon Johnson talk because this is a pretty lengthy one. Like we said up front, this is the fourth time we've had him on. He was on episode 170 along with Ricky Warwick whenever Damon was in the Black Star Riders and they came through town opening up for Judas Priest and Saxon. We got to sit down with both them at the BOK Center. And then again on episode 216, Damon Johnson joined, joined us when eh, about a year and a half ago when he was promoting his last solo album. And now his new solo album, which should be coming out later this year or early next year. I say solo album, but it's billed as Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. Right. The right. same band, I believe, from the last one. but and I can't wait. The two songs I've heard sound amazing. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is going to be a great record. No matter what, this guy is a phenomenal songwriter. Yes. So you know that the songs are going to be great. And he always makes, no matter the project, he always makes music that we're fans of. Of course. Obviously, if you're just listening to this and for some reason you're not familiar with the name Damon Johnson, he was the vocalist and get one of the two guitarists for Brother Kane. He's also, after that, he was Alice Cooper's guitarist for a while. He's been in Thin Lizzy now for over a decade. And that, of course, led to him being in Black Star Riders for their first few albums. He was also a part of the supergroup Slave to the System about 15 years ago. That also I featured that. members of Queensryche and Jackal, right? Yes. That's a phenomenal album if you have not heard that. Jackal? Well, Roman Glick was in it, right? Oh, fuck. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? So it's half wasn't Brother he? Kane, half Crane's right. That's right. God. Portland That's Jackson. been a while. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Roman was in it, unless I'm remembering wrong. But... And then Whiskey Falls, he was also a part of that. Right. I know there's other stuff in there. He's wrote music for everyone from Carlos Santana to Steven Tyler to, I know, some pop artists as well. He does solo acoustic shows. He's still a part of Thin Lizzy, but now he's branched out to where he's releasing more solo albums than in the past. He only had a couple previously, and now he's got a second one that's come out in the past couple of years. So, really looking forward to this Damon Johnson to get ready. I'm going to pop spring a question on you. What's your favorite Damon Johnson track of all time? Whether it be Brother Kane, okay, Black Star Riders, gotcha. anything. I, I thought you were going to be like... I mean, that's... Or solo, anything. I know it's probably Brother Kane, but... Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be... Uh, God, there's... I didn't even think I mean, this if, you, if you're... Dude, if you're asking me th- throughout everything, well, yeah, it'd have to be... Uh, 
There's some amazing Black Star Rider tracks. Pressure. Brother Kane. Okay. What a song, man. Yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, a lot of those Black Star Rider songs, um, like, uh, why you why you put me on the spot? <laughs> Soldier Town, Soldier's Town, that's a great song. I think that God, is, you, my, my thing, now, I think as great as Black Star Riders is, as much as we love him, it has you know, to that's, be. that's more, you know, he just played guitar. That was Ricky Warwick singing. So when I think, what's your favorite Damon Johnson track? I lean towards something he sang. Yeah, it has though, to be Brother Kane. I think for me, it would probably be Woman. That's a great song. I, I love uh, The Road. The Road is so good. Horses and Needles. Yes. I love that song. Voice of Eugenia. I mean, that's a. That's I think he talked about one. that in this episode yeah. or in this interview, or maybe that was. I know in the last one we talked about the road because I fanboyed out there at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, fanboy out, yeah, yeah, yeah. and bring we, it up. We got to do it sometimes. And on this one, we talked about seeds because it's the 25th anniversary. Yes, yeah. So I think he talked about voice of Eugenia. If for some reason you're not familiar with Brother Kane outside of the the songs like Got No Shame or. Why am I drawing a blank on their biggest song? Got no shame. Well, technically the oh the single up the and next full shine on. Yeah, that was actually technically bigger yeah, chart wise. I think. That, yeah, chart wise and yeah, yeah. So if for some reason you're not familiar with them outside of those songs, then do yourself a favor and check out their three albums. It's a phenomenal set of music from one of the probably top five bands of the '90s. I would put them up there with. With Soundgarden and whoever else you consider a 90s band. Right, right, right. But yeah, so we've got probably a 45-minute interview with Damon Johnson. And then guess what? We're going to throw on a bonus. Nice. We're going to include his Eddie Van Halen talk for... That's right, that's right. Someone that didn't listen to episode 292 for some reason. Yeah. So let's just get into this here. Here's Damon Johnson. Saxon Judas Priest, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, can we refresh my memory, Doug? What city did you see that show in? Tulsa. Tulsa. Okay. Yeah. Um, man, that whole tour was so... It was a lot of fun and it was a little bittersweet, you know, because I kind of knew that was going to be my last proper date with the band. You know, that's when I was starting to kind of make my move and I love those guys, and, and uh, I miss playing with them. We keep in touch. I texted with Scott Gorham today, and uh, Ricky sent me a really nice text on Saturday after we did that, uh, after the live stream and after the new single came out. So uh, always uh, makes me feel great, man, to hear from those guys. Yeah, I guess did when you were texting with Scott and, of course, Ricky, did you get feedback from him? On, did they both check out the live stream? Well, I know, um, I know Ricky did, Scott heard the single. Um, I think I had sent him that smart link, you know, that's got all the different digital platforms and he, he pulled that up and listened to it. Uh, 
I think it's like nails on the chalkboard for Scott to watch somebody else play Finn Lindsay so <laughs> 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 um, It's funny, man. It's funny I'm talking to you guys today because um, uh, the Thin Lizzy, you know, management and everybody was super gracious about this live stream that I did, and they did some really nice promo on like the Thin Lizzy socials, uh, which I was so grateful for, man, because obviously they got they got a big audience, and uh, so they had been letting the the fan base know, you know, that we were doing this, and of course it was always a tribute to Thin Lizzy, and I never even the stuff they put up, it never even said Damon Johnson of Thin Lizzy, um, which I appreciated. You know, it's the Damon Johnson and the Get Ready, special right. guest Richie Faulkner. Man, I've just been blown away at the uh, reaction across the board, you know, everybody everywhere. And uh, the event was spectacular. Richie's incredible. And uh, so finally today, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, man, you finally got some naysayers on the Thin Lizzy page. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, what are they saying? What are they saying? He's like, oh, they're like, who does this guy think he is charging a $10 ticket to play a bunch of songs he had nothing to do with? You know, <laughs> it just cracks me up, man. It's like, you, you, you can't win them all. <laughs> right? It's not possible it, to win them all. Everyone's a critic, you know? <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's like it's like I become during football season. You know, the NFL is kicked off, and uh, we all become armchair quarterbacks, man. Once the season starts, yeah. why would you run that play? <laughs> what are you thinking? Why would you run a screen pass right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of so talk I, about how the. Uh, I was going to say how the idea with working with Richie on this come come to be. Well, uh, Richie and I, we've been friends for about a decade. Uh, we met when he was still playing with Steve Harris's daughter, Lauren, in her band. We did some dates together when they opened for Alice Cooper way back in 2006. So I was aware of Richie, but I wasn't, I had no idea, man, the level of player that he really was. So honestly, guys, I didn't lay eyes on him again until October of 2011 when I had just joined Thin Lizzy. And the first tour the first tour dates we did were supporting Judas Priest in North America. So uh, I've told the story several times over the last couple of weeks, but I was in catering, and uh, Richie came walking over the table, hey, mate, how you doing? And I was like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm the new guitar player in Judas Priest. <laughs> it was hilarious, man. I mean, look, it's one thing for me to, you know, fill a spot in uh, in Thin Lizzy, which is obviously sacred to me, and I'm so proud. And, you know, there's been there's been some other far better players than me in that position. But, man, to take K.K. Downing's place and Judas Priest, come on. That's monumental. That's monumental. And right. I just clearly, clearly, man, and I don't know what you guys know as well as me that, they couldn't have picked a better person anywhere on the planet. He's so good. Yeah. yeah. How long did you guys uh, rehearse together for this and to work all the parts out? Well, the way we did it, you know, again, we're following protocol here, you know, health and safety. And for, for the most part, all of us have kind of been quarantined at home, 
you know, with our families. Obviously, we haven't been able to go out and do any concerts. Um, I got together with my trio, with Jared and Robbie. We had a couple of run-throughs of the song. Um, you know, all this was new material for them. They were very familiar with the songs, but they never really played them. So I wanted to kind of help them get a handle on the arrangements before I brought Richie in. So um, I got together with Richie twice, just the two of us, one on one, you know, and uh, I went out to his house. and So that was great. And I got to tell you guys, he was so, he's been playing those songs for a long time, you know, being, being a kid in Great Britain, you know, growing up playing wherever, clubs and parties and, you know, jams or whatever, they, they're always playing Thin songs. So I was knocked out that he had such a tremendous handle on the songs. Um, and I could just tell right away. I knew it was going to be special anyway, but, you know, Richie does a very difficult thing, which is he stays true to the spirit of the parts and even the solos that the original guys played while always bringing his own style to it. And I'm so kind of in awe of that. You know, it's inspiring. I'm certainly a talented player, and I'm certainly professional. I've been playing, you know, for decades. But I don't know that I'm a stylist, you know. I think you could you could put Richie on a lineup, you know, of like 30 other players, and he could rip a solo. And I'm telling you, I could tell it's him. I could pick his playing out for the other people. I think that's special. You know, I think that's something that we all strive for and we'd all hope to achieve. And for him to have achieved it at such a young age, man, I mean, barely 40, that's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And like, <clears throat> and even the work he did on, you know, the recent Judas Priest album is the best work they've done since Painkiller, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. I could not agree with you more, brother. And the fans feel that way too. You know, we saw that in 2018 when we did the, the dates with them. And um, it's exciting, man, when there's a classic band like that. I mean, really one of the forefather, forebears of the whole heavy metal genre. Uh, for them to be so on fire like that. And, and uh, you know, Rob is singing great. The band sounds great. And, I certainly believe Richie is, is responsible for, for some of that rejuvenation, no doubt about it. We heard the Battle Lessons, you know, song came out the other day, and then we got the chance to hear Can't Clap Any Louder as well. Like, talk about what fans can expect from this album. I mean, because you, you've got it, it's still a solo album, but you've, you know, named the Get Ready, and before you were just kind of going on your own moniker. Which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you asking about that. Um, I got to give credit to my manager. He came to me back in the spring, and he said, listen, man, I think we need to come up with a band name. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. I just hadn't even thought about it. And uh, he said, look, you've been around. You know, you, you've made some solo records. You know, you've made a couple of acoustic records. You did your EP, a live record. You just did memoir. He says, but, you know, we're, we're working to get, you know, raise your profile. And we're, we're hoping to, you know, once things get back to work, get you on some festivals, not just in North America, but in the UK. And his exact words were, man, it'll look great 
on a show bill if it's Damon Johnson and the Heartbreakers or Damon Johnson and the Bad Seats or, you know, I'm certainly a fan of some bands with, you know, a front man followed by a band name. So uh, my manager, Kevin, well, we both wrote a long list of names and I hate coming up with band names, guys. Let me say that. I detest it. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a pain in the ass, you know, because there's always a reason to to shoot any idea down. Well, that sounds like this. And that's coming. Somebody's already something close. But, you know, it's just hard, man. So uh, we both made a long list of names and we just sat across the desk and kind of threw him back and forth and he was coming down his list pretty fast and he goes, David Johnson, get ready. And he was already starting to say the next one. And I went, hang on, hold on. <laughs> again. And I just thought it was great. I thought it was great, man. It, it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't lock me into a genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make me sound metal. It doesn't make me sound Southern rock. It doesn't make me sound really, you know me, guys. I've always been kind of a mutt as far as the style of music because I've played a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, you know, Damon Johnson and the Get Ready, dude, we could show up and play Brother King songs, uh, Ben Lizzy songs, any of my solo stuff. We could play a set of Almond Brothers songs if we wanted to. <laughs> you know? So I'm, I'm really thrilled with that. I, 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 it makes me happy that you guys dig the name. And, your first question was, what can fans expect? I mean, I have to say, I really think the two tracks that you've heard, in a way, speak for themselves. Uh, you know, the record is loaded with energy and tempo this time. Um, and of course, Nick is the king of rock, period. There's no one better, man, to make, to, you know, record bands, you know, rock bands, hard rock bands. And Nick Rescue Linux, but you know, I still had to write the songs, and I, I'll just never forget the day I played him the demos, and his reaction was over the top. You know, he said some things that I, I didn't even believe. You know, like, man, these are the best songs you've ever written. I'm like, hey, dude, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, once, once we started, you know, recording them, and, and, the, and it was coming together, it was like, wow, he really is excited about these songs because he's, he's producing it with the same love and complete focus that he does Alice in Chains or Roger Foo Fighters or anybody else he's worked with. So I'm, I'm really fortunate, guys, to have a, not just a working relationship with Nick, but we're great friends. You know, he's here in town, and our wives and kids are friends, and we, obviously before COVID anyway, you know, we would do barbecues together and, and, and hang out. So uh, having his endorsement is obviously tremendous for me. What are some of the ways, you know, on this record that he, you know, he, he pushed you if, if he needed to? Well, again, that's a great question, too. I think, I think the heavy pushing came on the two previous records we've made together, um, especially the EP that we did back in 2016, because I was still firmly entrenched in being the Black Star Riders. I hadn't even really thought about doing anything solo. And he had some downtime and just as a friend, he offered up the studio and said, hey man, we've got some songs bring it down. But that was when he pushed me the hardest, I think, because he was really getting ahead around what my voice sounded like, what my songwriting on my own was. 
And the big push guys, honestly, and he even did some of Black Star Riders, was he just wanted me to shred. He's like, dude, I want you to rip my face off with this guitar solo. And I would laugh because it's like, dude, I, I'm not the rip your face off guy. You know, that's that's just never really been my thing. I certainly didn't play like that in Brother Kane. Um, so, you know, I'm like, bro, I can't play like that. He goes, bullshit, you can't. Goes, I just heard you over there warming up, man. You were playing some shit that sounded like, you know, Michael Shanker. Like, <laughs> give me some of that. I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know, we would do it. And every time, man, he would, uh, he would push me beyond anything that I would have expected to play. And he really did that in the Blackstone Riders, the two records we made together, Killers and Heavy Fire. And um, hey man, the solo, the guitar solo of Battle Lessons, that's that's Nick pulling up the chair by the console. We got the sound, we already got the track. He's like, all right, dude, solo time. Blow my face off, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so I cannot wait for you to to see the video that we're getting ready to release for Battle Lessons. It's all camera shots from the recording. And uh, our videographer, he captured the actual, you know, me sitting there by the console, laying that solo down. And, uh, you know, it's a great moment in the video. And just, man, it's just energy, you know, just tempo. Man, we did a lot of great uh, support slots last year. Opening for the winery dogs, we opened for Clutch, who I love so much, uh, back in December, and then we did the run with UFO in February, Legends, and I just knew, man, going going into writing what is now the Battle Lessons record, that I wanted some tempo, I wanted some bigger riffs, and just it's more guitar, man. I'm I'm proud to be a rock artist that leans hard rock at times with the emphasis on the songwriting. You know, I, I still want to have good vocal melodies and, and good lyrics. And I think that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I guess this might be the question of the hour. Were you at all nervous using Indiegogo after your experience with Pledge Music? <laughs> hey, man, that's a great question too, brother. Um, well, I was definitely gun-shy to do anything just because it was a real upheaval for in a way, man, kind of me and my family, because we, we're, we're doing this all independent, man. Um, this is a throwback. Everything's independent. It's on my imprint, Double Dragon Records, and I was thrilled to embrace that. What am I trying to say? I was thrilled to embrace that direction as an artist. Um, you know, I probably could have gotten a, a deal of some sort on an independent label, but... I just wasn't interested in that. And Pledge Music had been such a productive and successful platform for so many artists for so long. Black Star Writers included, by the way. You know, we had a great experience with them. So, man, when that thing all went belly up, it was tough. And we had to scramble and we had to pivot. and We had to make some adjustments, and, you know, coming out of that. And we may have talked about this even the last time we spoke possibly, but you know, I was just so proud of the fact that we fulfilled every fan's order, you know, everything they ordered on that pledge music thing. No one was without getting, you know, what they asked for. I was not going to hang the fans with that. You know what I mean? 
I wasn't going to call them and say, oh, sorry, guys, Pledge Music went bankrupt. You'll have to call your credit card company and try to get your money back. That's bullshit, dude. Yeah, they wouldn't right. they wouldn't drop that money in the first place. And even though the company went belly up, I still had all the information, you know, the addresses and, and people's names and emails. So we just let everybody know, hey, be patient with us. We're going to figure this out. So it was a real source of pride for me and my wife, you know, that we filled every order, man. So still, <laughs> I was anxious when we thought about doing it again. But I have a great friend here in town that he was super helpful with plays music. And he said, listen, dude, I got, let's, let's take a look at these people. He goes, I've, I've done campaigns for some other artists and it's been up and up across the board because they're not strictly music oriented. Indiegogo has filmmakers, book writers, painters, designers, inventors. I could go on and on. And, uh, you know, they've been around for as long as Plants Music as well. So because of the pandemic, as you guys may have seen, we had to launch the campaign in two phases. So we did phase one back in February. We kind of shut that down in April so we could figure out what we were going to do next. Well, man, Indiegogo paid straight away. You know, whatever money we had raised at that point, they didn't blink, man. They wrote a check. I had it two days later. So, uh Ironically, phase two ends tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, I fully expect you know to get to get the to get another check from them. And you know, man, I got all my people in position ready to go. I got the publicist ready. I got a radio person ready. I've got the vinyl and CD manufacturing, which is going to take a little longer because we still have three songs to record again, thanks to the coronavirus. Um, so that I guess that's kind of the communication I'll be doing with my fans this time is just you know giving them updates as to when the vinyl and the CD will be coming. It'll take a little while longer. Are you going to wait until you have the physical product to release it digitally, or are you going to release it digitally first? You know what, brother? I I really love dropping that single on Friday, and I think what I'd like to do, you know. We got nothing else really going on. We're not going to be able to tour. Uh, the record's almost done. So, you know, we can maybe even try and find a way to make a video for three songs, maybe four songs, and just put like one song out a month. And, uh, you know, I got to talk to the to the, my digital guy that, you know, the, the people, we, the distributor that we're working with that helped get Battle Lessons out last week. They're fantastic. And, you know, they're super um, experienced with all kinds of rollouts uh, of different artists. And uh, I'd always wanted to kind of dip my toe in the idea of putting out singles one at a time. So, again, uh, COVID-19 is kind of forcing me to. <laughs> so uh, so we'll get, to, we'll get to see what that's like, whether we want to or not. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, man, because I just want to keep getting the songs out. Uh, I don't know what to release next, man. I may even get Jody to sing you guys. Like we got six songs. I'd love to know what you think. I'd love for you to hear some of the other tracks and get some feedback from you because obviously you want to release the strongest stuff as singles. And I admit it's difficult sometimes for me to have perspectives about that. I certainly have my favorites, but um, I'm getting great reaction from my inner circle of friends and family. 
None of them are radio people. None of them are journalists. But, you know, there's a lot of holy shit. That's my favorite song right there. It's a song I didn't even think about. So, you know how that goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, yeah, we'd be happy to put in our two cents. <laughs> well, listen to me. Uh, the least I can do for your flexibility with the schedule, guys, when we hang up, I'm going to text Joey. And I'm going to just say, hey, make a note. But the guys, you know, I want to send them these six songs. We're getting three other tracks mastered, so I'll have a total of six mastered. Once I get those masters back, um, you know, we're just going to create like a SoundCloud link or something, you know, a private link and shit, man. Easy peasy. We'll send you that. You can. I'd love for you to check it out. Definitely, definitely. We appreciate it. Um, I I appreciate it. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in, in talking about <clears throat> all this COVID stuff and you know, the live streams and, uh, you know, how, how you've evolved in them. Uh, you know, you did, you did a brother Kane songs, acoustic. Um, w- was there any that you hadn't played acoustic or that you had to rework and, and how easy or hard was that? The only, the difficult, it, it's been fun to revisit a lot of songs from my past. Uh, there's definitely three or four brother Kane songs, man, that I don't know that I've ever played acoustic yet. <laughs> Some of the fans had requested. The biggest challenge is getting re-familiar with the lyrics. Um, especially on acoustic, man, I, I'm just so I'm confident enough as a player that I can get around whatever. I can even go to a, an incorrect chord and I can still make it work. Right. I just don't like not knowing the song. I don't like reading the lyrics off a sheet of paper you know, while I'm trying to sing it. Um, it's just more enjoyable for me. I'm sure it's more enjoyable for the listener as well. So, um, it's a bit like the Thin Lizzy live stream, honestly, guys. You know, I've played almost every song that we played in the live stream. I've played them with the actual, you know, Scott and the guys. But to sing them and, and play them simultaneously, brother, that's a whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Right there. I don't. I don't know that Phil Lynott saying one song where you know the vocal is singing the same rhythmic phrasing that the guitar is playing so i was literally standing in my my little office you know rehearsing those songs so uh but i i have thoroughly enjoyed that acoustic stuff and um i haven't done one in a while that maybe that's something i could do coming up you know get the guys to just you know, get get Jared to play his percussion and Robbie to just, uh, you know, play a small small bass rig and, and we can do that. Because, listen, man, I love, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I take my job of being the boss very responsibly. And those are my guys. I want to look out for them. And obviously, none of us have really been working, not in the music business, since March, for God's sake. So yeah. anything I can do, and, and incorporate them and, and have them play. Um, you know, I want to do that. So uh, I'm going to take your idea about more acoustic stuff, and uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, that'll be the next live stream. I think it's time, man. Right. I don't, there's no way we're topping what we did Friday. So, <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> no way. That was a big one. Yeah. Well, well uh, the Highway to Hell acoustic that you pulled that off. <laughs> Oh, you heard that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, I was as shocked as you probably were, man. Uh, you know, I've played that song in the bars forever, and 
I always felt like you can't phone that vocal in. You just have to dig down and grunt it out because, you know, Bon Scott will come back from the dead and punch you in the face, man, if you right. try to soft, soft pedal that. That's just <laughs> not exaggerating, guys. That's, that's, in my, that's in my top three favorite songs all time, all genres. Um, I love I love Highway to Hell so much. Um, you're gonna feel there's one song on the new record in particular that is straight up Phil Rudd playing that tempo. You're gonna hear it instantly. You go to the oh, that's the song he's talking about right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always said that full album Highway to Hell is is the album I would give someone if they had never heard a rock and roll album and wanted to hear something to introduce themselves. I'd say it'd be Highway to Hell or a Clutch album, one or the other. (laughs) Good on you, brother. I could not possibly agree more. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. No doubt. Well, between your last couple solo albums and all the work you did with Black Star Writers, you've had several albums over the past six years, kind of during an era where a lot of artists are putting out less content. So kind of talk about the idea of continuing to just build on your legacy. The first thought I had when you asked that question is Ricky Warwick. Uh, Ricky has changed my life. Um, I've always had a really good work ethic. And I think that was the, the first thing that he and I instantly connected over beyond just our love of Thin Lizzy, because obviously that's where we really met for the first time was in Thin Lizzy. But man, that guy is, unflappable he's always writing he's always reading books he's always taking notes and gathering ideas for lyrics perpetually and honestly i was i i almost had some regret when i saw him work i'm like that is how i should have been writing you know 20 years ago when we still had brother king together um I just wasn't that kind of an artist. I wasn't that kind of a writer. Um, You know, Ricky set an example of how a real artist is committed to being creative all the time. The antenna is never not up. The, you know, there's no excuse now with the phone in your hand, man. You can write stuff down anytime, day or night. If I'm driving my car and I get an idea, I can just, put the phone on the little microphone and, and speak lyrics into it. Man, Ricky taught me that, man, just by example. It was inspiring. He totally changed my, my professional life. And indeed, we did crank out a lot of output uh, over the three records we did. And man, there's so many other songs that we wrote that, God damn, they're good. Like, I, I hope there's a way they can see the light of day somehow. Um, I'll have to ask him about that sometime. But more so the new record than even Memoirs. Memoirs was, it kind of had a theme to it. I had some stories that I really wanted to tell. That was a different kind of a writing experience. But the new album, Battle Lessons, man, is me just being very workmanlike about being a songwriter, being an artist. And I was really proud of that. And I thought of Ricky often and, you know, I still thank him often uh, for, for kind of teaching me just by example how 
just how to be better at it, you know. And there's a lot of artists I follow too, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Americana artist Jason Isbell. Um, yeah. Jason's incredible. His lyric writing is incredible. And, you know, I've just read about his method and he talked about how one of his gifts is he has the ability to stay in a room with his guitar and a pen and paper for hours and hours and hours and not get bored. And I used to think that that was a gift. And he's basically saying it's not a gift, it's a choice. You just have to look at it like, look, this is my job. Sting is like that. I've always loved Sting's songwriting. Obviously in the police and in his solo work as well. He's, you know, if you're a songwriter, then write songs. So I, I just feel more legit now to, to have that label on my resume, you know, or on my title. I'm absolutely a songwriter. I've written more songs in the last six years than I have in the last 20 years, I assure you. <laughs> That's great. Well, the you previous 20, swear <laughs> <I didn't finish. laughs> Well, speaking of Ricky and Thin Lizzy, when you guys played shows last summer in 2019, when getting on stage with Ricky and Scott and the guys didn't make you miss Black Star Riders at all? You know, just the camaraderie, man, for sure. The friendship, uh, just being around the guys, you know, it, it's so much fun. We're always cracking jokes. And, and I, obviously with Ricky and Scott, I know their idiosyncrasies. And and I just was so thrilled to get to spend some time with them. You know, we're just straight into the hotel lobby, get a beer, sit down, catch up. I'm showing them pictures of the kids and asking about their family. Have you heard this, the so-and-so's new record? We just got and I are always talking about golf and uh, Ricky and I are always in the gym first thing every morning. He's over there lifting insane amounts of weights on the bench press and I'm just on the treadmill. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, I, uh, I just love, I just love being with them. They're, they're definitely like family. So, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, to, to get to play with Scott Travis again and get to play with Darren or always been. I love Darren. And then it was a big thrill last summer because we played with Troy from Mastodon. Jesus, right. man. He's, I, he's another one, man. I just, I, there's all kind of gooey, lovey-dovey adjectives I'm going to spew about that guy <laughs> if I don't shut up. He's, <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Just just a beautiful human being, man. It's a, a pleasure to uh, to just be around and certainly to make music with. But, but the cool thing about you know all that that you've all the guys you played with and all the projects you've done, uh, it but it still culminated in this, which is battle lessons and you know the two songs we've heard, which is just great. So it's uh, you know it, it, it's good to see you on this path. I, th- I think it's the right thing. Well, thank you for saying that, brother. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna exude a tiny bit of braggadocious. All right, uh, I mean this record is gonna be badass. Right. I mean, people go like, man, there's just no more good hard rock anymore. You won't be able to say that about this record. You can play it for your friends. Hey, dude, you want to hear something that fucking rocks? You got to hear this new Damon Johnson record. I'm telling you, like I am blown away at how great this record is turning out. Um. Like Nick and I, Nick picked the nine songs that he wanted to focus on. 
And the one bonus about COVID messing up the schedule and taking so long is I've written two brand new songs that have taken the place of two of the original nine, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, so he loved the original nine and then I brought in two more. He goes, oh, dude, we have to do both of those. So, you know, we got to pick two to take off, which I guess, sadly, we're going to do when we get back in the studio in two weeks. So that's going to be difficult because I'm, I'm really proud of the whole batch that I've written for this record. Well, I guess you would, you could still release those later on as singles. <laughs> Man, you know what? That's what, that's a fact. Honestly, we can do, we can do anything we want. Right. And again, that gets back to what we were talking about earlier about me being, you know, an independent artist, man, with my own imprint. I don't have to ask anybody's permission, guys, to do anything. Right. Um, you know, I've got, I've got bonus tracks from the live record that I put out in 2000, uh, 2018 or 17, the uh, Birmingham Tonight. Dude, I've got like eight other songs that are badass. <laughs> and, I, you know, I just want to get them out. Um, this year incredibly as it sounds, is the 20th anniversary of my very first solo acoustic record called Dust. And that thing has been out of print for pretty much a decade or more. So I wanted to do a reissue of that and add a couple songs to it. I've, I've already got those songs recorded. I, I dug back into the Brother King catalog and did kind of a reimagined arrangement of a couple songs. I'm thrilled with how they turned out. So... You know, there's just so many artists, guys, that I look up to and that inspire me. Uh, just how they run their business, how they treat their music and getting it out. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Nick is always doing stuff, putting out all kinds of content. Um, Richie Kotzen, man, that guy's a machine. Oh, my God. Machine 50 for 50, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that thing, yeah, that thing earlier this year. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you... Are you I want to say, bro, are you high? What's right. Wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, how does someone release 50 songs and none of it be filler, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, come on, man. That's that's an unachievable uh, peak right there, for sure. But again, you know, I'm just inspired by the work ethic. And I look, I have to give credit to my family. I mean, they've just been so supportive. It's almost like with me coming out of BSR and just not being in a band anymore and calling my own shots, we've sort of set up our house, man, around my work. You know, there's a space where I can go and be, and if the kids have schoolwork or if Linda's got her sister over or whatever, man, I can still be, you know, I can still be productive and kind of treat it like a day job. You know what I mean? That's certainly what I did back in November when I said, all right, it's time to write these songs. Again, big credit to my collaborating partner, Jim Troglin. Uh, he's the same guy that I wrote nine of the 10 songs with on memoirs. I think we're going to do probably seven, six or seven of these nine. And then the other two I wrote by myself. Um, you know, we just started bouncing ideas and it's like, Hey man, it was even easier to write this record because of how things are set up here at home. So um, I'm grateful for that, man. That's a, that's a, that's a blessing for someone like myself that's trying to run a, you know, a small business and, you know, look, dude, I'm not a household name. 
I've definitely played in some bands and with some artists that are household names, but Damon Johnson is not that. So we're, we're taking baby steps to change that. And uh, we, we got off to a good start next year. And I just feel thoroughly that battle lessons is a, is a giant step forward for that. Well, kind of looking back for a minute, this year is the 25th anniversary of seeds. And I know you've revisited a lot of that stuff during the live streams, like kind of looking back, like, do you have, like, what are your memories of recording that album? Seeds we've made in Atlanta, Georgia at a studio called Triclops. And, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that I basically fought to have Marty Fredrickson produce the record. You know, Marty and I had co-written three or four great songs that were on the debut album. And, and Marty was still an unknown at that point, but I could tell he was extraordinary. And I just, I remember going to my manager. I remember going to the band and, and to the, to our A&R guy. I said, listen, we should get Marty to produce this record. Cause he, you know, his demos were always, they sounded like records anyway, man. So it's like, let's, let's get him in, you know, proper studio, which we Triclops in Atlanta was certainly that. And uh, he did a great job, man. I mean, And Fool's Shine On was without a doubt our, the biggest song we ever had. And and that came from those sessions. And um, we were so inspired by the music that our, you know, our peers were making. Um, you know, we weren't really that familiar with bands like Soundgarden or, you know, even... I'm trying to think of more popular, like Matthew Sweet, man. God, what a great songwriter that guy is. I, I didn't know about Matthew until we were out touring the first record. And I would hear it on some of the stations, you know, that we were getting our songs played on. Uh, a band like Jellyfish, certainly bands like Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. We came to love all those bands. So I'll never deny that we were getting, you know, beginning to get influenced by that and not just our our classic rock records like Free and Aerosmith and Zeppelin and Lizzie and all that. So it was kind of a blend of all that. And I think that's why Seeds is, is one of our strongest records. It's a, it really shows all of our rock influences, new and old. You kind of mentioned it, you know, working, you know, with your wife and family and everything you've had going on with this record, but how have you spent your personal time during this pandemic outside of the music? I appreciate you asking that question too, brother. I figured out pretty quickly that I was going to have to do something to keep some physical activity going. Um, you know, when everything first hit and was becoming a reality that we were all out of work and everything was shut down. Hey man, I'm just like everybody else. We were on the couch watching movies, drinking wine, eating way too much ice cream, and doing <laughs> yeah. a whole lot of nothing, man. Almost like feeling sorry for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I remember, man, I got on the scale one day, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I cannot. This will not abide, man. I'm, no, this is not going to work. So the gym was shut down. I couldn't go to the gym. So, uh, man, I just started walking. I started walking around my neighborhood. Uh, we're fortunate that this subdivision that we live in has is, is got sidewalks on both sides of the street. And I, this is a real number, guys. 
since March, I have logged over almost 700 miles, you know, just here. Walk, you know, I just what? three or four miles every day. It, right. it adds up. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing that like four or five days a week, sometimes six or seven days a week, it, it adds up. And it's just been great for my, for my mind, for my head, for my attitude, for my ideas. Um, I got to tell you, honestly, I think that's where the whole Thin Lizzy tribute live stream thing came from. You know, I was out walking and listening to music on my headphones and I knew Battle Lessons was coming. Like, man, we got to do something special. What the hell? And I'm sure Lizzie popped up on my shuffle on my Apple Music. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. We can, maybe we can pull this off. So uh, it's really um, it's really made a huge difference for me. Is uh, is just that commitment to health. Uh, it's definitely given me a nice tan through the summer. Being <laughs> 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 out walking around. That was the first thing Richie. And his girl Mariah said when I went over to rehearse these songs for the first time, it's like, damn, mate, it's like you've been at the beach. And I'm like, yeah, just walking around my neighborhood trying trying not to lose my mind. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been good, man. And uh, I I gotta I gotta say, dude, I've played uh, I've kind of played more golf this spring and summer than I have played. No no exaggeration, since I was with Alice Cooper back in you know, 2011, man, because we've talked about it before. Played tons of golf with Coop. It's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle for him. So when right. you're on the road, man, you easily, easily play four or five times a week, no problem. <laughs> so I went from playing almost every day to not playing at all, and I missed it. And my game went rapidly to shit. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, when the pandemic started, at least we could, one of the few things you could do is go to the golf driving range and be socially distanced and not have to be around anybody. So I would take my son and he's, he, he's 16 and it's been a great kind of a connection for me and him. And it's just, it's something we do. So I'm, I'm grateful for that time as well. This, uh, this summer. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us once again. Guys, I always enjoy it, man. You have great questions, and uh hope I didn't chew your ear off. And uh, I meant what I said. I'm going to text Jody right now and say, look, put the guys on your on your platinum list. They're going to get the uh, – <laughs> I want them to hear these, uh, these other songs. I'm glad you've heard Can't Clap Any Louder already as well. Um I read this incredible book this year by uh, the great writer Peter Matheson, and it's called Shadow Country. And I have to give credit where credit's due. I found out about that book through Jason Isbell. Oh wow! Because uh, some 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 fan had asked him, you know, what he had been reading back in 2014 and 15 when he made that amazing record Southeastern, and that was one of the books. So. Uh, I just ordered a used copy of it off of Amazon and the motherfucker was 950 pages. Man. <laughs> God. <laughs> this giant book. So, uh, well, hey man, guess well, now, what? Now I gotta order it because I, I love Jason Isbell. I love that stream he did from the Ryman. So, now I gotta order that book. 
Well, listen, brother, it's an incredible, incredible story. It's rooted like right at the turn of the 20th century, uh, back like in South Florida, down near Naples. And basically when that was still getting settled and there was still Native Americans, you know, there and trying yeah. to maintain some of that land and, you know, hustlers and gamblers and uh, no, no good cats. And uh, it's an incredible story. E.J. Watson is the is the main character. And he was a badass man. And uh, so to that point, I wrote a song inspired by some passages in that book. And it's not a song that has like an obvious chorus, like Can't Clap Any Louder does or a song like that. And I just kept beating my head against, well, I mean, I don't know what to call it. don't know what to call it. Nick is like, well, where did you come up with us? It was from this book called Shadow Country. He goes, that's the title. We're going to call the song Shadow Country. <laughs> <laughs> so with that will be one of the six songs and you might as well just play it first because it's going to be one of your favorites it's a badass track guys uh i'm almost in shock that i came up with the ideas musically of the arrangement it just it takes some left turns and the band plays their balls off on the song man i, I can't wait for you guys to hear it yeah i can't wait either Right. Wow, man. Guys, my pleasure. Listen, continued success to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for all the support, man. Now yeah. more than ever. Absolutely. Definitely. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, man. It's always a pleasure. Y'all stay safe and healthy. And uh, when our paths are about to cross, if you see we're coming that way, man, hit me up. Hit up Jody. Let's, uh, let's get some FaceTime. There you go. Damon Johnson, part one. We're not done here. As I mentioned beforehand, <laughs> we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned beforehand, we got a double Damon Johnson interview because that one was recorded. Man, it's been over a month ago now because we're so backed up on these interviews, which is a great place to be, I think. Then a couple weeks after that, Damon called back and we recorded a segment for our Eddie Van Halen tribute, which came out here two or three weeks ago, episode 292 where we had Damon along with 13 other musicians talking about Eddie Van Halen. The episode itself was over three hours long, but everybody offered a unique perspective, so it's worth checking out. It features Mark Slaughter, Robin McCauley, Mitch Perry, Paige Hamilton, Frank Hannon, Eddie Valise from King, a long list. So check that one out if you have not. Damon Johnson talked to us for probably, was about 20 minutes, and... He had a great perspective because I believe he was the only artist we talked to that actually played shows with Van Halen. Yeah. Brother Kane went on tour with Van Halen in 95 on, like we mentioned earlier, the Seeds tour. And then Van Halen was on their Balance tour. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, Balance is amazing. Yes, it is. And for those of you that don't think it is, F you. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he interview Eddie Van Halen for a Guitar World thing? That sounds tour. right. Now that you say talk it. about that and the thing. But I think I saw like, him post about it after the. I wonder if I could find that somewhere. I don't think he talked about it okay. in our thing, but maybe I see. But I do remember that from something recently. Right, right. Let's just get into this here. Damon Johnson talking about the Almighty Edward Van Halen. You know, it was incredible to just kind of immerse all of us, man, the, the whole world, 
was just immersing itself in Ed and all his specialness. Uh, you know, we've had him for so long. I think you know, certainly it's easy to take it for granted after a while, but um, so many stories, guys like you and me, we already knew. Yeah. But um, just amazing man here, read the comments from other people and um, other artists that, you know, respected him and had some interaction with him and, and, you know, to get to tell some of my own stories, man, I feel really lucky that, you know, we were able to tour with those guys and kind of, you know, have a pretty incredible experience, man. You know, just to be around them on a day-to-day basis and uh, strike up some level of a friendship. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you said, it's cool to see not just, obviously people love the music, but to see all the stories coming out from musicians about like how good of a person he was to them, like whether it be just giving him gear or just, you know, reaching out to him and that kind of thing. Well, I only thought about this yesterday and you're the, you're the first person I've said this to, but you know, man, it's impossible for someone that smiled as often as he did for that to be manufactured or fake. Yeah. Or like a, sh- a shtick, you know what I mean? Like that's just, that's really and truly who he was. And I don't know if you read Ted Tippleman's book that came out earlier in the year. I haven't yet. I've read uh, some excerpts from it. Yeah. Incredible, man. Incredible. And for all the amazing artists that Ted had already produced when he, when he first crossed paths with Van Halen, you know, he said Eddie was fully contained right out of the gate, you know, still basically maybe he was 19 or 20. I can't remember how young he was when they signed the Warner Brothers. I guess it was 76 is when they signed the deal, early 77. Um, but he was fully formed and unaffected, no rock star ego, no big trip about, hey, look at what I can do. It makes me special. Um he just loved it and had a focus and a purpose and just loved playing with his brother. And, <laughs> you know, it's just incredible, man, that uh, a guy with that headspace would literally change the world. Yeah. Well, what are, what are um, your earliest memories as far as hearing? Was it that first album? or? Yeah, man. I had this amazing story, Trent. Uh, that I've shared with a couple people last week uh, in in a couple interviews, but it's worth retelling. My very first garage band was my buddies from junior high school. So we were all 14. And we, uh, my drummer's dad had a buddy that ran like a little ice cream parlor kind of place. And so they set it up, man, for us to be able to play at this ice cream parlor, like, seven o'clock on a Saturday night, something like that. So we were a four piece band, two guitars, bass and drums. And we're playing, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and China Grove by the Doobie Brothers and Cat Scratch Fever and like a bad company song, a fog hat song. That's about all we could, that's about all we knew. (laughs) So we play this gig and there was a guy who I think was maybe in college that came down and brought a little PA system that we were able to play through. 
So when the gig was over, we're helping this guy load load his PA into the back of his Chevy van. And this is one of those, uh, I forget the name of it, you know, just the the Econoline vans, but it had the plush carpeting and the captain seat, you know, in the second seat area. Yeah. And, you know, just classic (laughs) mid-70s van. And uh, so, man, we put the stuff in the back, and he goes, hey, man, have you guys heard of Van Halen? And we went, no, never heard of Van Halen. And he goes, check this out. And I remember the vantage point I had standing at the back door of the van, looking up to the front of the van. And he took, you know, an eight track tape and slid it into his tape deck. And the first thing we heard was running with the devil. And then that segue into eruption. And our jaws were on the floor. (laughs) <laughs> just imme- just immediately on the floor and I remember my buddy Troy and I looking at, looking at each other and literally saying what is that how how many guitar players are in that band and this guy knew you know this dude uh, Paul was his name he goes oh that's just one guy Eddie Van Halen and then he pulls he pulls the tape out and then we were able to see that album cover you know the, the four photos of the four guys and my buddy Troy goes, wow, man, that music sounds just like that picture looks. <laughs> like that, those, those pictures are badass. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a spaceship. It's like a, it's like a spaceship had landed in the parking lot of this Dairy Queen. So, you know, man, uh, I think I went, I moved shortly after that with my family. We moved to North Alabama. So, I just remember buying that first record uh, right right when we moved up there. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't have any money. If I wanted to buy a record, I had to save for like two or three weeks. So yeah. as soon as I saved up enough money, man, I, I bought that record. And, <laughs> you know, I, I was just obsessed after that. Everybody in high school just knew me as the Van Halen guy. You know, I had a bumper sticker on my car, blasting it, and... I played in the marching band, all that stuff. Van Halen, dude, all the time. And then I put another band together up there. And of course, it was hard to play that stuff. You know, I wasn't technically proficient enough yet to really cover it. But I know we played You Really Got Me and Ain't Talking About Love. And, you know, as I got to be more skilled with my technique, you know, I would tackle some of the other stuff. But um, he changed my life, man. He changed my life before I ever even saw them. And then once I saw them live in concert, uh, it was the Women and Children First Tour, 1980. It was over for me, dude. I just, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to throw around these cliches, Trent. So forgive me if I sound like so many other people. <laughs> it changed my life. It just changed my life. You know, the energy, the show, Dave, Michael's harmonies. The light show, the way the amps look, you know, Eddie just shoving it down our throats. It was almost abusive. It was so, <laughs> it was like we got hit in the face with a Mack truck. And uh, listen, man, I, I just, you know, for all of the different genres that I've delved into in my career as a songwriter and as a band member, 
no, I like all kinds of music, man. But there's no question that the 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 essence of the sound and the style of music that is just tattooed on my inner musical heart is hard rock. And, you know, it's all because of that, you know, it's like the stuff that moved me during that period of time was, was specifically the bands that had power and, you know, tempo and energy. And, uh, so, you know, roll the clock forward, you can imagine what a thrill it was for me and the guys in Brother Kane to get to do some some dates with Van Halen in uh, 1995. And, you know, I got to tell him some of this stuff to his face. So it was incredible. Yeah, we've, we've talked to, you know, quite a few people that even that have, you know, been around for 30, 40 years in the business. And you're, but you're the first person I've talked to that's actually played shows with Van Halen. So like, besides just that being a great experience, like what did you pick up like from seeing him live every night that you still take with you to this day? Well, that was a unique period of time for Eddie because Eddie was sober. And, you know, we all know that Eddie has struggled through his life with, with alcohol and he was, he was completely sober that entire tour and it was hard for him. And he shared that with me, you know, he would talk about how it's frustrating to go back to the hotel or get on the plane. And, you know, the other guys are still drinking as you do, you know, end of the show, you crack a beer, you have a cocktail. And he goes, man, it's torture for me. It's just, it's hard. And I felt so humbled, you know, that he would share that with me. And I totally understand anybody could, could understand. Um, but I have another great story to tell you, man that on that tour early on, uh, their tour manager introduced me to Ed and he was just a, he was an angel, bro, right out of the gate. Just so welcoming. And, you know, I told him, I said, look, I'm a super fan. I'm going to get on your nerves. He said, Damon, you've earned your spot on this tour, man. You ask me anything you want, whenever you want. <laughs> and, uh, so one day he comes by my dressing room and says, Hey man, you want to go check out the rig? You know, his guitar rig. And I was like, yes. Let's go. So this was right at the time that he was fully launched, you know, advertising, promoting, pushing his PV 5150 amplifiers. Uh, one of which he sent me at the end of the tour, by the way. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was in all the magazines, and it was it was just all he was focused on, man, was these 5150 amps. So he takes me up there, and he, uh, he let me play his guitar and blast a couple chords, and it was just, you know, <laughs> insane, man. It's so loud. And I was like, yeah. So we walk around the back of the rig, and he's showing me all these heads in these amp racks, Trent. And, man, there's like eight of these amps you know, all wired up, all turned on, you know, just mad. That's, you know, he's getting this mammoth sound and, you know, a switching system. And I'm sure he was, had some amps for some songs and then he would switch to the other ones for other songs. Well, man, there was one beat up road case sitting next to these racks of the new amps, this older rack. And down at the bottom was this beat to hell Marshall head. It didn't even have the full Marshall logo on it anymore. Maybe just two or three letters. 
you know, cigarette burns, all this stuff. And you know, probably as I know, you know, he had this Marshall amp that was like legendary that Jose Arianda modded for him. And it was on those first, that was his tone, dude, those first six records. Yeah. So I looked at that amp. I looked up at Ed. I looked back down at the amp and I looked up at him and he put his finger up to his mouth and he goes, Shh. you know, like, don't tell anybody. That's our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so even with all those, you know, all these PV amps, dude, he still had that Marshall head. And, you know, man, I, this was before cell phones and iPhones and, oh, my God, I would have killed to have had a photo of that. Um, you know, I was so conscientious about not being, you know, a nerd that it really just, there's no way I would have taken a camera up there. But, like, oh, Ed, can I take some pictures? That would have, that would have not been cool. So I didn't do it. But, man, I wish I had one. <laughs> Special. <laughs> well, with that, I mean, that whole experience, all that being pretty early in your career, like, do you remember when you guys got the word that, you know, they wanted you to open up some shows, like what that feeling was like or like how giddy you were or anything? Oh, totally, man. It was incredible. We were on the road somewhere and I got a message from uh, the, our tour manager, sound man. He said, Hey man, you need to call the office. So we stopped to get gas somewhere. And so I go to the payphone and I call and, and my manager, Conrad, he says, Hey buddy, I got some good news. Um, uh, Collective Soul had to pull out of a date and the promoter wants to put you on the bill. And I said, great, what show? He says, it's opening for Van Halen in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might have dropped the phone. If, if I could really imagine my immediate reaction, I bet I dropped the phone and you know ran back to our beat-up bus to tell the guys, but... So we did that one off and, you know, I'm sure all, you know, my, our agent and our management and everybody's trying to get more dates. And so sure enough, man, after that one off, then we got to do the entire, uh, the third leg of that tour in North America. And that, that ad added up to about 20 shows and we couldn't have been happier, man. And, you know, this was at the time that, you know, grunge and, the Seattle bands, you know, were just crushing it. And, th and that was the focus of rock music, you know, new music at that time. But, um, you know, we had passed up some other tours with some heritage bands or classic bands because we were trying to do our best to maintain some level of relevance, you know, in the current climate. But then there was no way we were going to pass at that. You know, I mean, anybody would have jumped at that. They would have been foolish not to. So, um, we were honored, man. Honored, thrilled. It's like a dream come true. Yeah, I think that whole, that, I mean, you can't really say that any Van Halen's really underrated. Everybody knows about all of it, but that balance album just doesn't get the, you know, the accolades it deserves, I think. Yeah, there was a couple great songs on there, man. Even the slower stuff, the radio hits were good. Uh, can't Stop Loving You, you know, was, they just had so many great songs. Uh, with Sammy as far as radio hits and stuff like that. Um, but then, as we know, that tour ended and that's when they had their falling out. So, 
you know, it's all fascinating, man. But obviously their legend was secure and their ability to sell out everywhere they played was still very intact. So, uh, you know, and like so many other people, man, you found out about his cancer and, you know, he, he kind of got past the first scare with it and we were all happy that he recovered and, um, and then the word got around that it had kind of returned and it was more like full-blown throat cancer as opposed to the tongue cancer he had in the beginning. And I mean, let's be honest, Trent, that guy, he never took a photo that he didn't have a cigarette in his hand. Right. So it didn't take a rocket scientist to tell that that was going to come back and, and cause him some problems with his health one day. And it damn sure did. Um, and I hate that, man. I hate it for him. I hate it for his family and I hate it for all the rest of us. But he, he talked about that too, man. Nicotine, there's nothing harder to kick than that. Nothing. So, yeah, it's, um, but I'm certainly glad he lived and I'm, I'm grateful for what he's given to me and the path he set me on. And I still don't know how I was able to come from such rural beginnings to be able to be a full-time musician at all, much less, you know, get to do the things that I've been able to experience in the last 30 years, man. So, uh, but he, he was the guiding force. He was the thing, you know, and, it's just extra special, you know, that he was this innovator. Um, Ted Templeman said it himself. He said, Ed is like in this hierarchy of great American artists of all time that is very small group. For instance, Charlie Parker, what he did for the saxophone, Art Tatum, what he did for the piano, Eddie Van Halen and the guitar, totally. He's in that hallowed ground, you know, of innovators and, just change the world. Change the world. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if there's anybody still living that is important to rock music besides maybe Paul McCartney. I think that's a pretty good analogy, yeah. man. Um, you know, had that kind of impact. I mean, I guess in a way Van Halen was our Beatles. Yeah. You know, it had that's the that's the only thing to compare it to that had that kind of seismic shift. How many thousands of bands came out after Van Halen that had, you know, some big haired, you know, chest out lead singer jumping around like a, like Tarzan and then a guitar player playing a thousand notes a minute. Right. Uh, you know, and hey, some of them were pretty good. Some of those singers were pretty good. And some of those guitar players were pretty good, but none of them could touch Van Halen, man. <laughs> so uh, I would always laugh when people would say, talk to Eddie about that in interviews. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, how does it feel? Are you proud? You're, you were the fathers of the, the hair bands and, the, you know, the butt rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, fuck that, dude. 
<laughs> that wasn't my fault. I'm <laughs> trying to write good songs. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Well, I think that'll work for what we're doing for this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, Trent. It's always a pleasure, buddy. And thank you guys for doing this episode. And uh, listen, we're going to be celebrating this guy for decades to come. Yes. So uh, it's always my pleasure to to talk about him. And uh, thanks for for letting me be a part of it, man. Good luck to you guys. There you go, Damon Johnson. The second part of our Damon Johnson extravaganza. A huge thank you to Jody Best for her continued support of this podcast for not only getting Damon on here for a third and fourth time, but for her help with that Van Halen episode. Oh yeah. Like I said, we had 14 guests on there and I believe five of them were thanks to her. So once again, that was episode 292, which featured what you just heard from Damon along with 13 other people talking about, well, 15, if you count me and Jason talking about Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) So check that one out. Like I said earlier, check out episode 170, Damon with Ricky Warwick, and 216, Damon's last stop on here as well. So huge thanks to Damon for all the time he spent talking to us. We are beyond honored. Is that correct? Oh, man. (laughs) Big time. No need to say yes. Yeah. I think people know by now that we're both fans. You already know. (laughs) All right. Well, by the time this comes out, hopefully there's not a civil war. That's all we're going to say about this week. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. (laughs) If this is your first time listening, we greatly appreciate it. We've had members of Tesla, Guns N' Roses, Kiss. Glenn Hughes has been on this podcast. I love being able to say that. Right. Alex Skolnick of Testament. Eddie Valise of King has been on here twice now, thanks to that Van Halen episode. We've had on members of Shinedown. Warrant, Saving Abel, Megadeth, Death Angel, Shooter Jennings. A very long list. 294 previous episodes you can check out. Pretty much everywhere you can hear podcasts. Get on our website, thethunderunderground.com. You can listen there. You can see all our socials there as well, so click on them. If you don't already follow us, follow us on all those socials. At The Thunder Underground is our YouTube channel. Subscribe there. We just recently had a review of the new Alterbridge GP, Walk the Sky 2.0, as well as a review of the new Saul album, Rise as Equals. So check both those out as long as well as everything else previously. All right, a huge thank you once again to Best Bet Promotions, Damon Johnson, Hella Hot Hot Sauce, Med Farm, DB Concerts, and Sunset Tattoo, and until next time. Guys, I'm appreciate you being so flexible. I hope I haven't put you out with uh, moving this interview around. Uh, not at all. No, we'll, we'll let it slide this time. <laughs> all right. Don't, uh, please don't, yeah, please don't hold it against me. I know how you guys get. You'd be putting out threats and I get it, man. You got it. You got a business to run. Yeah. <laughs> Thunder Underground, y'all.